0: Welcome to another Growth Master's Federal presentation on growing your business in the federal sector. Your host is Shirley Collier, President and Founder of Scale to Market. Scale to Market helps businesses think, plan, collaborate, and build market value by developing and executing customized data-driven business development playbooks, building efficient information systems, and creating high-performing BD teams. In this frank discussion on startup and growth funding, Shirley and her guest, Ryan Huss, senior credit and underwriting manager with Parabolus, a private funding firm serving the GovCon community since 2013, explore the choices and learn where the business crippling potholes lie in making these critical decisions. And now here's Shirley with her guest, Ryan Huss. Enjoy the conversation.
1: Shirley here. This podcast channel is entitled, Growth Masters Federal. We know that mastering growth in the complex, highly regulated federal marketplace means not only having a finely tuned business development discipline, but having the resources to leverage. These resources include people, processes, technology, and capital. Today's topic is about capital. First, why is capital necessary? Can't you just fund your business from cash flow? Well, yes, you could if you have customers who pay you up front for the work to be performed. And the DoD is starting to do this for small businesses to develop innovative technologies. They realize that small businesses need to invest in people, equipment, and sometimes systems to develop early stage prototypes. This is usually less than about $2 million. But in government contracting, this is rare. Normally, you seek opportunities, sell, propose, when, if you're lucky, contract, and then begin execution of the contract. You then invoice the government for products and services, and then some time later you get paid. Funding all of those activities prior to getting paid has to come from somewhere. We're going to talk about the various ways that small contractors can fund growth and some of the nuances related to those options. My guest today to help us explore this important topic is Ryan Huss. Prior to joining Parabolas, Ryan led the expansion of Seamless Web, a publicly traded company, into its first markets outside of New York City, which included Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and Houston. And for eight years, he was a strategy and financial consultant to large public sector organizations and Fortune 500 companies at IBM Global Business Services and Cross-Country Consulting. Welcome, Ryan. Thank you, Shirley. Happy to be here. Well, I'm happy you're here also. Let's start with the basics. What are the ways a government contractor owner can fund their company when just starting out?
2: So there's a few different options, first being equity from an investor, another would be loans from from friends and family, SBA loans of some sort, Uh, SBA has various programs for different loans, a line of credit with a bank personal credit cards are sometimes an option, and line of credit with a private lender.
1: So let's explore the pros and cons of some of these options. How likely is it that a startup in the government contracting market is able to get equity from an investor other than family?
2: You know, this will almost certainly have to come from the network of friends and family. You know, there's not a lot of investors out there who will buy equity in a government contracting startup unless it's a seasoned founder at the helm, you know, likely someone that is starting their second or third company.
1: So along with that comes loans from friends and family, right?
2: Correct. You're going to want to utilize your network. In many circumstances, obtaining a loan from friends and family is much cheaper than giving out equity as the valuation of your company when you're just starting out will be really low. So you would have to sell a decent stake in the company to get the funds you need to support working capital.
1: So would you say that startups are typically self-funded, which includes savings, personal credit cards, and friends and family?
2: Oftentimes, yes, but sometimes in combination with negotiating quicker payment terms with prime contractors as well. Many new contractors will start out as a subcontractor to a prime, and sometimes the primes will be willing to pay you quicker, especially if you have a, a previous relationship with them. And faster payment would potentially allow you to pay your largest expense, which is definitely going to be payroll, right after you get paid by the prime. But once you begin growing, this will no longer be an option for most contractors.
1: Meaning that you will have multiple primes that you're working with, or you're the prime yourself, so cash flow becomes a greater challenge, right?
2: That's right. Yeah, Growth is going to come from new sub and prime contracts, so inevitably contractors will find themselves in a position where relying on quick payment terms is no longer an option.
1: So, Ryan, let's assume that the initial funding helped the small business get their first contract. Now, what? Is the business eligible for an SBA loan at this point?
2: Potentially. You know, while startups can qualify for SBA loans, the requirements are many, uh, the standards are pretty stringent, and it can take a while to get qualified. So, it's not ideal for companies that are looking to add headcount quickly or need to make payroll in the next month.
1: And when is a business typically eligible to get a line of credit with a private lender?
2: You know, it depends on the lender. Most require at least a year in business or other credit history. What small businesses really need is an asset-based line of credit once they have secured their first contract. So this is the most ideal way to support working capital expenses as it allows them to borrow against the work that they are doing that hasn't been billed yet which is ideal for funding the first payroll, and also borrow against invoices once they've been built, which would also further increase how much they can borrow. Uh, this type of line of credit is similar to what they would get at a bank, but much more flexible with greater access to capital, which is critical in times of growth.
1: Now, Ryan, I know that a lot of business owners don't really understand debt. So what are some of the most common misconceptions about using debt to fund your business.
2: Yeah, we often speak with companies that are not sure of the differences between an interest rate and an annual percentage rate, uh, or an APR, and therefore don't know the cost of capital that they're borrowing. And so, an interest rate is the rate at which you are charged interest when you have a balance with a lender, uh, whereas the annual percentage rate is an annualized rate that includes interest expenses, discount points, and all other fees, uh, which are sometimes hidden. So, for example, when factoring, the interest rate often marketed at a lower teaser rate is just one part of the overall cost that would make up the APR. So many companies believe they are getting a good deal and have a low cost of capital when in reality their annualized costs are much, much higher.
1: So the lesson here is to ask about or do your own calculation of the APR when you're contemplating borrowing money.
2: Absolutely. Uh, This is critical, as it is the only way to do a true apples-to-apples comparison of financial options. Another common occurrence is when companies get into a cash flow pinch, they obtain a loan from a merchant cash advance or payday lender, which has become a lot more popular these days. And this type of lender will buy a portion of the company's future revenue, give them an advance on that amount at a heavily discounted rate. So for example, let's say a company needs an advance of $150,000 tomorrow the MCA lender will require you to sell a larger portion of your future revenue, let's say $200,000, and will require daily draws from your bank account that cover the $200,000 and other fees. The discount of $50,000 is where where the cost really lies, because in that situation, the company essentially paid $50,000 on a $150,000 loan that will be required to be paid in 90 days, which amounts to an APR of 133 to 400%. So this is definitely not a tenable situation for small businesses. The cash drain on this alone will sink their business. And the MCA payday model is intentionally confusing. But what ends up happening is they find company owners in a bind who need money the next day, and they feel that they have no other choice, so they do it.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's incredible. But there are some business owners that think that having any debt is bad, right?
2: That's right. Yeah. Many company owners think that it would be best to bootstrap it for as long as possible, not sell any equity, not take on any debt because it stresses them out to think about how they're going to pay it off. What they don't realize is that if they had the right funding support via a line of credit or other reasonable cost debt source, they could grow faster and the return on the cost of that debt is huge. So for example, the cost of capital or cost of borrowing for, from a bank is typically a half a percentage point to 1% of revenue and 1% to 2% of revenue for a private lender. So, but most government contractors can realize 5 to 10% net profit margins. So if you take an example where a company's cost of capital is 1% and profit is 10%, the return on that debt is 900%. In that example, you know, debt is your friend and a critical tool for growth. I find that it helps normalize the cost of capital relative to revenue for the debt you are considering rather than focusing purely on the interest rate.
1: That's an excellent point. And there are several misunderstandings regarding factoring.
2: Absolutely. Many people believe the interest rate they're paying on factored invoices is the entire cost of capital for that. And they never take the time or aren't quite sure how to figure out what the true cost is. Most times, factoring is going to have an APR between 20 and 40%.
1: Now, elaborate on that a little, Ryan. What is the difference between factoring and an asset-based line of credit?
2: So factoring companies will buy your invoice at a discount, they provide you with an advance on an invoice and send you the rest net of their fees once the payment is received by the government. Companies are required to sell entire invoices to get the cash they need to pay expenses. So this can be very expensive depending on the interest rate charged, the discount the factor purchases your invoice at and other fees many companies don't pay attention to. Typically between twenty and forty percent, like I mentioned. Most times, factoring companies will only buy your prime contract invoices once they have been approved by the government, and they'll only buy subcontract invoices from prime contractors that are considered investment-grade. This is, can result in delays in getting cash and reducing the amount you're eligible to receive. On the flip side, uh, a line of credit allows you to borrow against the value of invoices that you have billed, and in some cases, against labor that has been worked but not yet billed. So companies can borrow the amount they need for expenses at the time and no more, uh, and they can borrow throughout the month as costs arise. And all payments are then received by the lender directly, which pays down the client's balance quickly, and it cuts down on the cost of capital.
1: Oh, that sounds like a very reasonable approach, Ryan. We need to take a break. My guest today is Ryan Huss, Senior Credit Manager at Parabolus. When we come back, we'll be talking about creative lines of credit that address the unique challenges of the government contracting marketplace. Stay with us. We'll be right back.
0: Today's discussion is brought to you by Scale to Market, and your host is Shirley Collier. Utilizing the proprietary Davey Business Development Growth Framework Scale to Market partners with business owners and executives to increase their company's value by achieving profitable and sustainable growth in the federal marketplace. Email shirley at scollier at scale to to obtain your copy of the Davy Growth Framework. Growth Masters Federal is a nationwide community of growth oriented government contractors, their owners and executive teams and the professionals who support them. The mission is to share experiences and discuss timely topics on managing and growing your GovCon business with an emphasis on implementing effective business development systems and practices in the complex, highly regulated but opportunity-rich federal marketplace. And now back to Shirley's discussion on financing the growth of your GovCon business with Ryan Huss, who oversees underwriting, credit, and operational activities at Parabolus, a private funding source for federal government
1: contractors. Welcome back. Before the break, we were talking about factoring and its misconceptions. What are some creative forms of lines of credit that you have seen, Ryan, that address the government contracting market?
2: Most lines of credit are going to be offered by banks, but there are a few other direct lenders out there providing lines of credit exclusively to government contractors. But this is what companies should look for or be aware of. A bank line of credit will be much harder for contractors to obtain typically requiring at least three years in business, a history of profitability, and many other stringent requirements. Alternatively, private lenders who provide lines of credit will look at many of the same factors as a bank, but because they are not subject to the same regulations as a bank, they can lend to startups and most companies that can't get a bank line of credit. Another challenge in the government contracting market is that banks often cannot increase the maximum of a line of credit to support large contract wins in a timely manner. It might take them months or they may not even be able to do it until the end of the year once full-year financials are complete. Whereas private lenders who are very savvy about government contracting can increase the ceiling in a matter of days after award notices in hand. Small business contractors that are growing quickly will benefit tremendously from this flexibility. And you know, a third major difference is that banks will typically set how much you can borrow based on last month's invoices. And many won't lend against unbilled revenue either. So if you grew month to month, you don't get to borrow more when you need to most that following month. This is especially problematic when first starting out with a bank because it could take months to get a line of credit set up and then another month before you are able to borrow. And what contractors need is a line of credit that is set up in weeks that allows companies to begin borrowing that day against any unbilled revenue and billed invoices.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. So, Ryan, do different types of small government contractors have different needs? For example, if I'm a software developer, are my needs different from, say, an engineering firm that provides professional services to the federal government?
2: Sometimes. Most service-based contractors have the same borrowing needs. However, those companies that supply physical products to the government, those will have very different um, borrowing needs at times, often requiring down payments or milestone payments to vendors. There are some private lenders who can support this type of borrowing as well, though.
1: Okay. Uh, well, so what are the most common reasons that small government contractors get into financial trouble? It seems to sneak up on them.
2: Yeah, from my experience, uh, it, it's it's three main things. It's One would be not paying attention to their margins and the cash flow on a weekly basis. Another would be not focusing on getting monthly financials done by a competent accountant. And last of all would be, you know not having cash when you need it to pay subcontractors, vendors, and payroll, and this ends up resulting in maybe poor decisions on how to fill in that cash gap when it occurs.
1: And in government contracting, this can have pretty severe consequences.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it can potentially lead to loss of contracts, employees, or the entire business.
1: And that, of course, can be devastating, So what should a contractor focus on when it comes to the financial health of their business?
2: Well, we recommend first and foremost, managing cash flow through a cash flow forecast that you update weekly. You know, it is critical to know when revenue payments are coming in and when you need to pay your expenses. Another would be, you know, when you're bidding on contracts, making sure to have healthy gross margin on each position or overall. Even if the contract appears easy to obtain, make sure the margins are actually worth it for your business. And then once you're up and running, invest in a good accountant. Accurate financials are not only vital to securing funding support for your contracts, but also knowing the current health of your business.
1: Ryan, as you know, I focus on business development, which includes market research, planning, and having a disciplined approach to identifying opportunities, then going after and winning profitable contracts. Well, this takes very careful planning and analysis, and in some cases, investment in people and systems to be more purposeful and to grow beyond the agencies a company might be currently working for. Can a line of credit be used to invest in this type of infrastructure?
2: Absolutely. An asset-based line of credit is merely a cash flow tool. It allows them to pull cash forward before they get paid. Uh, What dictates whether they can invest in people and systems outside of their direct contract and operational cost is cash flow management and, to some extent, profit.
1: Well, this is an important point. To grow, you have to invest in business development. Our listeners will be glad to know that they can cost-effectively leverage their current assets to get the funds needed to pursue new business. So, Ryan, let's go back to managing cash flow, which is very important. Do you recommend that government contractors hire a finance person or outsource that function?
2: You know, when they're really small, it makes sense to partner with a known quantity outsourced accounting company. It's typically going to be cheaper than hiring a full-time person, and they'll have access to more than one person to ensure they're getting accurate financials. They're up to date. They can also ask them to help them with their cash flow forecasting. And there are many government contracting-specific accounting companies that are affordable uh, and understand the space. And you know, another benefit of this is that many lenders will require your financials to be produced by an outside company to ensure accuracy and objectivity anyway. So you're really investing yeah. uh, in your future here.
1: Yes, that makes sense. And what about your recommendations to government contractors regarding whether to hire a business development person or to outsource that function?
2: I do see very small companies hire um, our contract business development staff, but ultimately the most successful companies hire employees and manage this mission-critical function rather than outsource it. But in all cases, hiring a consultant who can help them develop their plans, systems, processes to be effective is crucial. And most companies don't know how to do this on their own.
1: I agree, Ryan, of course. This is what I do for a living. I also advise my clients to get professional help with pricing their proposals. What is your opinion?
2: I agree with that. Uh, I recommend contractors consider outsourcing some of their bid and proposal work to ensure they are pricing their bids correctly and putting the best foot forward. These are unique professional skills that many small contractors do not possess in-house, at least when they're starting out, but even even going further down the line, even the, the larger small business comfort contractors that find themselves not properly pricing their contracts.
1: Yes, and it takes experience to develop that skill. It's rare that you can just take a class. <laughs> you have to just live it. And, uh, and so bringing in someone from the outside who has lived through multiple proposal efforts and has won uh, through competitive pricing uh, can always be very helpful. So as we wrap up, Ryan, what advice do you have for small government contractors who are seeking growth funding?
2: If you're a contractor that is currently factoring, has any type of merchant cash advance or payday loans, or is looking at winning your first contract, look for a line of credit with a lender that understands your business model and the government contracting market.
1: Ryan, you have been very careful not to make our discussion a commercial for Parabolus, but tell our audience about why Parabolus was formed.
0: Parabolus was
2: founded by former government contracting executives to provide flexible financing options to small and medium-sized government contractors particularly where traditional financing may be limited or unavailable due to size, growth, or situational needs. So as we have been discussing, contractors need a partner that is able to adapt to their needs when payments are delayed by the government, shutdown occurs, contracts are lost. And we partner with clients to help them through the rough spots, and we increase support very quickly when they add headcount on current contracts or new awards.
1: Ryan, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and insights with our audience today.
2: It's been my pleasure, Shirley. Thank you.
1: Folks, if you would like to get in touch with Ryan, he can be reached at ryanatparabolis.com. That's R-Y-A-N at P-A-R-A-B-I-L-I-S dot com. This is Shirley Collier, president of Scale to Market and host of the Growth Masters Federal Podcast, signing off for now.
0: We appreciate your taking time to be with us today and hope you found the information useful. Learn more about options for financing your business at Parabolus.com. And for more information on how to increase shareholder value and instill enduring BD management principles into your GovCom business, give us a call, reach out on LinkedIn, or visit our website at scale-to-market.com. That's scale number two, marketcom That's scale2market.com. For those who prefer a visual experience and want to view this webcast again, it's available along with our previous work on the Scale to Market website. And for those who get their information on the go, you'll find the podcast on the Growth Masters Federal channel. We welcome your feedback and look forward to having you join us again soon for another informative Growth Masters Federal presentation.